we fought on camera and off camera all the way to the bar ditch and I finally got the man down and was on top of him but didn't have enough wind left to even get my handcuffs and get him cuffed so I've got a portable radio screaming for help. Retired senior Texas trooper Johnny Williams describes a traffic stop turned bad with a cocaine dealer. In this episode of True Crime Reporter Extra, we feature real stories from the Texas Highway Patrol. 2,800 women and men call state troopers, enforce traffic laws, and serve other policing duties, some even on waterways. They work alone, often on lonely roads at night, or in remote areas where they are the only law for hundreds of miles, and help is a long way off. They patrol more than 683,000 miles of paved roads across Texas, through its piney woods, desert plains, mountains, and coastline on the Gulf of Mexico. Texas ranks as the largest state highway system in the United States. The state's old San Antonio road, used by trailblazers in 1691, is the oldest highway in America. Johnny Williams patrolled those highways as a state trooper for nearly a quarter century before retiring in 2007. He has been a commissioned law enforcement officer in Texas for 40 years, presently serving as a court bailiff in Lamar County, Texas. Williams saw his share of high-speed car chases, apprehended armed felons wanted for violent crimes, and investigated horrible car wrecks. One of those wrecks still sticks in his mind. Newlyweds who ran off the road and hit a culvert, a concrete pipe, in a drainage ditch that ran beside the highway. And it was a couple of Amish kids. They had been over to Louisville and had gotten married. They lived in Como, outside of Sulphur Springs. young man worked on a dairy. They had been over to Louisville and got married, and they had to get back home because he had to milk cows the next morning. And they ran off the road, and the young lady fell asleep. The young man was in the back seat asleep. And the young lady fell asleep driving, ran off the road and hit that culvert. And it flipped the car completely up over, and it landed upright on the other side of the cover. It killed the girl. The uh, young man survived, but on the dashboard of that car was a Bible. That Bible was open after the wreck on the dashboard to the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. If I never remember anything else about my career, I'll remember that night. I can't explain how that happened. There is no way to explain how that happened. But that that particular wreck probably may have affected me more than, than anyone I worked in 25 years. Williams and I are childhood friends from Paris, Texas, in Lamar County. Our interest in law enforcement started when we would volunteer to ride along with a state trooper named Max Womack. At times, it was a rough ride on a stretch of Highway 271 North leading to honky-tonk nightclubs and bootleggers across the Oklahoma border. Some of the folks stopped for speeding and drunk driving preferred to fight rather than go to jail. Max Womack, now deceased, went on to become a legendary Texas Ranger. You may recall from our previous Texas Ranger case file episodes that you must first serve as a Texas trooper in order to become a Texas Ranger. Both of us learned a lot out on patrol with Max Womack. Uh, Max was always very professional. 
he was always nice to people as long as they were nice to him. He could, he could flip the coin in a heartbeat if it called for it. But uh, Max always tried to talk to people on the same level that he was on. And uh, if, if it took something different, then Max could, could go to that in, in a heartbeat if it needed it. But if he didn't, I, I, I saw a lot of people that got tickets from Max that thanked him for it when they were through before they left, you know. And that, that probably impressed me more than anything. Williams and I went to Texas A&M University. His father was a graduate and decorated B-17 pilot during World War II. My uncle and namesake was a graduate and decorated infantry sergeant in World War II. So naturally, both of us went to Texas A&M. Later, Williams enlisted in the United States Navy and served on a destroyer during the Vietnam War. After Vietnam, he entered law enforcement, first serving as a sheriff's deputy. Next, Williams was accepted into the Texas Department of Public Safety, known as DPS, after a rigorous background check. He says his 18-week DPS training academy was even tougher than the Navy's boot camp. And I'll use this analogy. If you, if you leave boot camp, you're AWOL. You've committed a crime. At the DPS Academy, they tell you every day that you can leave, that all you have to do is sign one sheet of paper and you can go. And it's up to you to have the mindset to stay there. And I've, I've talked to a few youngsters that were about to go through and they said, well, what do I do? And I said, you take one day at a time. You don't get a calendar and hang it up and mark each day off. You don't mark each week off. You don't go all the way over here 18 weeks ahead and put a star on the day you're going to graduate. You take it one day at a time. You get by Monday, you prepare yourself for Tuesday. You get by Tuesday, you prepare yourself for Wednesday. You just take one day at a time. They've never killed anybody. It's a huge physical challenge, but I think it's an even bigger mental challenge. You're out there on the PT field every day, and you're watching all the cars go by, and you're watching people drive into Whataburger, and you're watching them drive into McDonald's, and you're watching them walk out of the 7-Eleven with a six-pack of beer, and you can't have any of that, you know? So it's a, it's a that, and, and, and they, they do that. They put you out there and let you watch all that because, you know, and saying, do you want to stay here bad enough to not— Walk over to Whataburger and get you a Whataburger, you know, a chocolate malt. So, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a huge physical challenge. It was a, an extreme physical challenge for me because I went into the academy at 35 years of age. And, and I was expected to do exactly the same stuff on exactly the same level that the 20-year-olds were expected to do. And uh, I had to do it. I was the oldest in my class. There was one other one in there my age, and I actually turned 36 in the academy, and he didn't, so I say I'm the oldest one there. Williams says the physical demands to train to become a trooper caused some recruits to drop out in the middle of the night. A couple left right before the boxing started. You know, we have to box, and, and, and the philosophy back then was, will you keep fighting when you taste your own blood? They want to build your confidence up, but they want you to know what it feels like to get beat. And, and they want to know if you will give up when your nose is running, blood from your nose is running down into your mouth, or will you keep fighting? If you won't keep fighting, you're gone. It's changed somewhat now. But uh, I, I'm always proud to say that uh, our academy had $37,000 in broken noses. And by golly, I was one of them. 
We will be back after this break to hear what William says is an officer's most important personality trait for the job. Before we return to our interview, please recommend True Crime Reporter to a friend and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can join our true crime community at the link to our website in the show notes. Now, back to our interview. In the wake of high-profile confrontations between police officers and citizens, Williams believes that compassion should be a law enforcement officer's most important personality trait. Compassion is one word. The ability to project yourself in a friendly manner and also the ability to control a situation regardless. But you have to have compassion to do this job. You, you, you just can't be cold-blooded. Williams is concerned that some police agencies turn out officers that are robotic. During traffic stops, they sternly demand license and registration. No small talk. But it just seemed like that, that had no personality to them. Didn't smile. Didn't try to engage in any conversation. Do what you had to do. Leave. Just like that. And that's not the way we work. You know, I, I could stand on the side of the road and talk to somebody for 15 or 20 minutes. They wanted to have a conversation. You know, we didn't talk about anything but the weather. But, uh, you know, I mean, it, you know, I didn't mind stopping and talking to people. Did it lots of times. Williams proudly says that during his career, no one ever filed a racial profiling complaint against him. He loved putting on the Texas tan Western-style uniform and donning his cowboy hat to head out on patrol. It's a new day every day. You wake up just like a goose. <laughs> you know, you're in a new world every day. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if it's just going to be. There is no such thing as a routine traffic stop. Any traffic stop can go south on you. But I, I think it's just the appeal of, of, of getting out there and maybe doing something just a little bit different maybe having the opportunity to help somebody that really, really, really needs some help and, and the opportunity to put somebody in jail that really, really, really needs to go to jail that has no business in public. You're helping the community. You're making the community you live in safer. And uh, it's, just, it's just a new day every day. I asked Williams if he thinks the job has gotten more dangerous for state troopers. He believes there has been a cultural change in attitudes about authority across all socioeconomic groups. I think what makes it more dangerous today is, 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 is I think we have raised a generation of people who have absolutely no respect for authority of any kind. They have uh, no parental authority. They're single parents, uh, absentee fathers. They pretty well do what they want to when they want to do it, and they don't respect anybody telling them they can't do it. And, and I think that's the biggest problem. It, it's society as a general, and in general, and we've just raised that generation of people that, that don't respect authority of any kind. Williams' last high-speed chase covered 56 miles in just 41 minutes. It was a wanted felon driving a stolen Chevy Camaro sports car. The car busted my radar southbound at 111 miles an hour. I'll jump off after it. He takes off. William says his cruiser was about to run out of gas when the felon crashed. He wrecked, he wrecked it, jumped out, 
and had his hands in the air. I don't know how he didn't get hurt, but he didn't. He hit one of those great big, huge concrete power poles, just annihilated the Camaro. It just exploded. So he gets out. I jumped out, yelled at him to get on the ground. After handcuffing the fugitive, Williams said he realized that it was time to retire. I knew that night it was time to go for sure because just as soon as the adrenaline dump wore off, I just puked my guts out over there on the side of the road. I mean, it was, it was, I'm too, too damn old for this shit, you know. Today, Williams gets Facebook messages from people he stopped many years ago. One man wrote that when he was a teenager, Williams should have written him a ticket. I told my parents Johnny Williams pulled me over, but he didn't find me. Mom said, that's odd. I heard he would write his own mom a ticket. The man concluded his Facebook message with, laugh out loud. Thanks, Johnny. We want to be your favorite true crime podcast. So please recommend us to your friends and leave a review wherever you listen. If you want to receive updates and bonus interviews, join our true crime community at truecrimereporter.com. If you have suggestions or know of a case that we should look into, email us at fan at truecrimereporter.com. This podcast is a trademarked and copyrighted news organization based in Dallas, Texas. You can read more about our news team at truecrimereporter.com. Thanks for listening to our journey into darkness.